everybody. Welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, and I'm your host. Welcome to episode 23, 90 Days in a Wake Up. And I hate that this is episode 23. I've hated both of my episode 23s. I just hate the number. I've always hated prime numbers. I hate my episode 13s. I hate my episode 11s uh, and my episode 17s. And um, I have always hated prime numbers. If you don't know what that is, that's a number that is only divisible by itself and one. And it's just a little too cocky for my taste. I don't like it. Never have. I, when I was a kid, you know, I had symptoms of OCD and that was one of them. Um, I got very anxious and very nervous whenever I did a problem and I had a remainder and I never liked odd numbers in general, but then it sort of, it changed to the prime number thing. I, it's weird, I know, but it was like, if I knew that the volume in my car was on a prime number, I, I would, and I was in the house, I'd go back out and turn it down. I have woken up out of bed because I thought the volume on the TV was on a prime number and I had to check it. I never, you know, it never brought me so far as like checking all the TVs in the house, but I don't know. I don't know. And that was, it was like that right up until, um, I met my ex-wife. So the, you know, there was always like this, this low burning flame of anxiety in me about, about symmetry. Like shit has to be symmetrical. And what's funny about that is, you know, with all I've had some injuries, you know, to, to the right side of my body. So the right side of my body has always been uh, non-dominant and much weaker than the left. And, you know, now as in, in my new training life and developing the ramp method, which is, uh, you know, a way to look at those left and right asymmetries because there's some decent statistics out there. You know, it's tough to, to, it's tough to ignore an overwhelming statistic and, and left and right asymmetries are uh, variable in almost every single injury. Like you can blame it on that. Your left doesn't do the same thing as the right or vice versa. So I spend a lot of time on myself trying to fix that with great success, but it's always been part of the reason why uh, it, it was always part of my anxiety. Like that when I looked at things, there was a pattern in the little tiles on the floor of my bathroom in Peabody, the one that I grew up at. And they were all um, squares. There were squares. It was a big square, two rectangle squares and a little square in, in what looked like no particular pattern. So my brain, when I sat there, I'm sorry, I went to the bathroom as a kid. If that grosses you out, I apologize. But, um, and I would look at it and try to organize it in my brain so that it made a pattern. And, I, you know, I'd have to like, and I have never, ever, ever in my life been able to look at one of those pictures that if you like look slightly out of focus, you see a pony. Fuck you. There's no pony in that picture. It bothers me that my brain could never see it. Um, and, and, you know, so this is, you know, long story about episode 23 and why I dislike the number, but, um, these days I'm much better with it. I, I'm okay with the volume being on a, um, prime number. I'd prefer it wasn't. 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, I'll change it if I know it is, if I notice it. And if I am moving the volume of anything in particular up and down, I am cognizant of. Now, I'm okay with um, five. It's an odd number. Um, no, I'm not okay with five. It's a prime number. Um, there are certain numbers I'm okay with. But none of them are prime. So it used to be odd numbers. All odd numbers. And then it just was prime. And now it's it's still prime. <laughs> I keep trying to, you know, I keep trying to justify like some succession of my, of this disease, my diseased brain, my OCD. Um, and I love it. I think my OCD also is what makes me very effective at what I do. And all, and you know, I joke about how much your perception changes when you cross the line, when you're a criminal now, when you have done something that most people wouldn't do. Um, you start to look at things way different. So, and you know, I've always been involved with drugs and just shady people. And when I was in in stores with Rosmac and he was trying to shoplift stuff, you know, is and I would blow any of those. Rosmac nine times out of ten told me to leave when he was about to steal because he knew I'd get too nervous and and make you know make him a target for any security. So, I just I just don't have it. I just have never had it. Now you know there are other ways that that you know my skill set was more valuable and and I think that's in the lookout when I I joke about being the lookout and that being the job that I got during all the robberies but I was pretty fucking effective at it I was always stationed in a place to watch the scene and you know it's really difficult to figure out what the scene actually is or where any potential threats are especially when we were standing in downtown Boston but at the same time you you know what I was looking for people like me I mean, it, it was that simple. Oh, look at that dude. He looks like me. Oh, shit. You ever see, if you ever saw somebody, you know, standing in the foyer of a McDonald's, you know, and I looked like I was waiting for a cab or something. Like, nobody even really took notice of me when I was standing and staking a place out at the same time. You know, you look around and all of a sudden you see a dude doing the same thing. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that freaks you out. And that'll get you to abort. See ya. No way. That dude over there. Well, what do you mean? He's just standing there. <laughs> Nope, nope, bad, bad juju. Um, so, you know, I think, I think the obsessiveness, if you can find an outlet for it, it can serve you pretty well. And as a, as a trainer, um, I don't miss a thing. I could, I, at this point, and she's, I, I know I probably sound cocky and I'm okay with that. I really am. Um, I'm very, very confident about my ability to look at the human body and see structurally what's wrong with it and see that it makes me nuts that, that, uh, all exercise is pretty much, you know, given a pass. Oh, it's exercise. It's good for you. No exercise applied to any system that is out of balance is painful. I mean, it's not going to work. And that's the point I'm trying to make in the in the exercise community. But I'm standing in a community full of idiots. I'm sorry. If you're a trainer out there, I'm sure you're very effective at what you do. But I've been doing it for too long not 
to see every Rubik's cube and immediately like, boop, 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 I, can, I can get all sides. I can get you back to all sides. There's a lot of work though. There's a lot of work. I'm sorry, but, and everybody knows this. Unfortunately, everybody's been spoon fed that, oh, you got to do a lot of work and in, in, in a bunch of years, something will happen for you. No. If you start to address the structural problems now, you know, you should notice results right away. So, wicked tangent into my other life. Um, but uh, who the hell knows? Maybe this podcast will turn into the Rant Method. The Family Jewels Rant Method podcast. Um, also, the cover photo for episode 23, ladies and gentlemen, is a logo I made. And uh, if you go to the Family Jewels podcast Facebook page, which has been pretty dormant, I do a lot more stuff on the um, on Instagram, Family Jewels podcast on Instagram. But I'm putting together these little uh, snippets of you know the the newspaper articles that were written about us and some pictures of me, you know some of the cover pictures that you've already seen for episodes, and I'm putting them into these little videos and I'm setting them to mashups, which I'm sure at some point I'm gonna have to take off because of royalties or whatever. But I don't even know. I don't even know. But, so you can go on there now and enjoy them. Enjoy away. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. But check out, this is a, a, on the front, a, a logo idea. And you see how, e I, I think I paid like 100 bucks, 150 bucks for the logo you have seen that you see on the homepage for Family Jewels whenever you pull up an episode. And that, what I just did, what is the cover photo for this episode, took me 10 minutes. It's amazing how much these people make these digital. It's so easy to zip zip and it's super fun, man. Get into it. Go on TikTok and just start. There's so many tools now for you to be able to design some pretty cool shit. You know what I mean? And it's fun. It's I I spend hours doing it. And I'm like, ah, you know, that song should have, that lyric should be right there in the video. And it's a lot of fun. So um, probably going to attach a story to this episode. I did a story this Friday. Uh, at Sick Puppies, and was I as psyched as I was in the last episode about that story? Not, I, I am psyched about this because, you know, it's it threw me, it was another word that threw me, and again, I, I want to, I put in my head that I was going to get up and have three topics that I was going to try to steer the, war, the word towards, and I'm going to go over those subjects with you in this episode, because they're super fun, and, um, it, it never works for me because I honestly want to get up and not have anything prepped. And I'm like, well, non-prep is also having three things and picking one. And, you know, I, you know, if I realize that, no, I can't go up and do that. I, I just, that is not the exercise. So you have heard a lot. I, there was, a, there was some, th some of the stuff that you've heard me do as comedy, but that my comedy is true life. So you're going to hear about. I think they said firecracker and you know, I, I go into a story. It's a little all over the place, but I think I, I hone it back in and um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to put it out and you know, do you, do you hear a difference? Cause I feel different on that stage. And, and that is the beauty of this exercise and, and that sick puppies has allowed me to do it, is start to develop a presence while you're telling the story and it's I want the one man show to be pat and written and scripted but I'm going to go off script a lot with it as I develop it and um, 
I'm hoping to, to, to change it in every night in a way that, that you would want to come back more than once. So, uh, I don't know. Lots of cool things are, are starting to happen, but it all starts with me sitting down and writing, um, and writing out the one man show. And I have a couple pages of it done. Maybe I'll read it to you. I don't know about this episode, but going to put the, that story at the end of here for you guys to listen to and see if you guys, uh, you know, something, a little piece new comes out every time. So on with episode 23, we are talking about 90 days in a wake up. And I call it this because once you hit the 90 day mark, when you're going to go home, it, it all, it's every conversation you have with everybody. Now, every other inmate is like, Hey, how many, how many days left, man? How many days left? So I'm still sitting there, Eric Partak, my cellmate, um, we just, we just stopped after the Jeff thing, we just stopped talking. And after I hit the 90 day mark, he got, he was just a little douche, man. The kid was just such a little punk. You know, you're talking about a kid who did no hard time. He never, and neither did I, I'm sorry. I did. What did I do? I, I did what most people would call a punk spit. And I'm sure to a lot of people, it seemed like, like if I was in prison with my time, most people would have called me a rat. I would have fought that label because it was unheard of for for my charge, the charges that I had in that time. So I would have instantly been singled out and targeted as somebody that probably ratted. You know what though? My brother and father were right next to me and I was ratted on. I was given up. So made things very easy, man. You have to understand that, that any any family team in prison is almost like a gang. It's almost like a gang. And we never, ever, ever looked at ourselves that way. I certainly looked at Kevin, dad, for protection. Dad, listen, dad's not tough. You heard what happened when he tried to take that kid down in Boston. He punched him twice. Like, neither Kevin or dad, they could both lift the world. They could lift the world. If they could find a place to stand, they could lift the world. And But it was never force that was was trained to produce, you know, uh, a punch. It was, they were all, we've all been workhorses. We've all just been workhorses. And, you know, when I say that, that we, we drove around on weekends and looked for construction sites to go and just take, cause it was the eighties and, and, um, you know, these construction sites, depending on what the product was, pretty laxed in their security and dad knew where to go like and we were looking for rocks i'm not saying we went and stole uh you know i i can't even think of anything like we did we stole raw material almost to the point where it might have even been unnoticed like they were well what a thousand two by four hair two by fours here and now there's only 750 you know what i mean it wasn't like <laughs> That time that we you're gonna hear in in the in the story that we got almost got arrested was we were in Groton and and Dad had the foundation port and he capped it and we sat in that fucking house and and went around and and got material for it. Dad brought it home and he started to frame the house. We helped him on weekends. It was labor camp. I hated it, 
But Kev was so good at it. Because that's, that's the kind of strength that they had. That That's that's the Russian. I'm, I'm serious. It's just we were slave labor. Poles were slave labor for the Russians. And um, I didn't get a single one of those genes. So I'm the one that has, you know, I was always, yeah, Kev, come on, let's go kill those dudes. I'll be right behind you. You go first. I'm not stupid. And half the time he was kicking the shit out of me. So, you know. <laughs> You're welcome, because when he wasn't, that means he wasn't kicking the shit out of you. So everybody takes a beating sometimes. But Eric is just such a, and and it was, he started hanging out with, um, Jeff got classed or left or something after that incident, and he, that's the only one that person that he hung out with. Nobody else really liked the kid, and I think it's mostly because he didn't do any major time and he was doing a, a huge chunk of his time in a minimum which I was only moved to a minimum you know six or eight months before the end of my sentence it's not you don't do you know you're not going to do 10 years and do seven of it in a minimum and the people that do it's part of a bargain it's part of, and it may not necessarily have to do with ratting you might have just got a sweet deal. You might have just had a kid. You know, watch Better Call Saul, man. He's getting just sweet deals for, or or the sweetest deal you can based on the uh, on the on the parameters of the law. So this kid is doing five to seven. He's got to do the five. He's in a minimum, and um, he's doing the majority there. So it, it not a lot of people liked him. You know, there is a community in there. There is a hierarchy in there. And another reason why I don't think I took a lot of heat was because my crime was not, it was despicable. Uh, and I'm a, I, my, out of my mouth was about to say it wasn't despicable, but there's a weird prison logic, man. There's a weird way to look at things like that in there. It's different, but it almost seems okay. Like when you hear, hey, uh, he stabbed that dude because that dude raped a bunch of kids. And I don't know how many of you, how many of you out there are like, oh, that poor dude that got stabbed. How many? I'm, I'm totally interested in hearing that because that's one of the things that I think prison did to me. Is I think my stance on crime is tougher. I think it's tougher. I think I walked out of there. Those walls, ladies and gentlemen, are needed. And there's a lot of fucked up things going on with it, about it, about they're all being private right now. And I think, I think that might be part of the reason why they don't want to approve federal legislation for marijuana is because they're still, you know, a huge percentage of that prison population is sitting in there for marijuana crimes. And it's stupid. But it, it may change. I'm not saying that they're going to have to let the people that are locked up go. But once you make it legal and now I don't have. It's a revenue source. It's a revenue source for the just, uh, justice system. To have it be illegal. And when you start to remove that. These people are thinking, oh my God, pretty soon you'll be able to buy heroin at 7-Eleven. Uh, probably not going to happen. But so what? Go look at some statistics of countries that legalize it. And you'll see, you know, there's very little crime associated with it. There's still crime, 
Don't just look at a statistic, a crime statistic and say, well, geez, that's not that impressive. But then you have to look at, you know, the conditions upon which that those crimes were committed. And you'll see a lot less be because he needed more heroin. That's why he shot the 7-Eleven guy in the face. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it has made me somebody that has leaned a little bit further towards the right when it comes to um, punishing people for fucking up. So now, you know, do I believe in the death penalty? There's another side to that coin. There's another side to the coin of where I'm sitting right now, 90 days in a wake up, 89 days in a wake up, 88 days in a wake up. And people do it to you. It's almost like they help. They help make it worse. Because <laughs> everybody, hey, how many days? Because And it it almost hurts to say it. Because I'm saying it to somebody who has 790 days in a wake-up left. And I get to say 90. I tell you, once you get down to double digits from triple, and some people had... <laughs> quadruple. I mean, how many days is is eight years to my brother? What's eight times 365? N- neither one of those numbers are prime, I believe, thank God, but I can't do that in my head, and if you can, but it's a lot of days. Now, think of, think of that in your head. Think of, and a lot of inmates do that. A lot of you, so many inmates will have lockers full of calendars that mark the X. That's why I said at the beginning, hey, I, this is the first time I considered buying a calendar because I was like, I would never do that. But guys that are doing serious numbers keep the years of the... And they it's just a calendar full of Xs. Just get out and buy a bunch of calendars and <laughs> make the same number of Xs. Why, why torture yourself like that? Well, you know, that's the punishment. That is the punishment. So, yes, I'm 100% supportive of... Um, any legislation that at this point now, you know, you, you got a huge uh, infrastructure thing going out, right? Biden wants to do his whole infrastructure. This is ridiculous. Trillions of dollars. Why? Why aren't the inmates doing it? Why aren't the inmates doing it? Why aren't they rebuilding this country? Why shouldn't we say, hey, sorry, here you go. Get out there with your picking the X. Do you really want these people just laying on their ass? Well, I don't want them outside. There's so it's so easy. It's so easy to keep them outside. You know, you think that wall is keeping you safe, but when these people class down, if they were truly dangerous, they leave the minimum. They go and they do their... You're never going to stop evil. So something's got to be done, man, right? So it's really hard to... This is a really hard thing to say, okay, well, how do you reform it? How do we make it better? It's I don't know if that's the word, but... And I'm not saying educate them and, and, and I get that argument. If you had given me a ton of education in there and there's a there was a case in Massachusetts while I was in or soon after where a guy wanted to have a sex change operation and he sued the state of Massachusetts to pay for it because he was an inmate and the state of Massachusetts not only had to answer the charges and send a lawyer to this to this shit show. But I'm pretty sure they got state money to, to make it happen. Like, come on. And I'm not saying you make it okay for them to do, you know, distance learning and get a degree if, if they want to pay for it, but they can't. 
I mean, if they want to pay for it out of pocket, but most can't. Um, put him to work doing something. And from there, let's say, let's just say that you, you say, all right, we're going to teach you how to pave roads. Post prison, you're going to sign a contract with the state to continue to do this work at a rate, you know, get paid for it, whatever they would pay a road paver. And we're going to, we're going to teach you the skill, but then we're going to use that skill. And you are beholden to the state for those three years. Yeah, how are you going to enforce them doing it? Yada, yada, yada. I don't know. There's ways. Lawyers and shit. Come on. I get the idea. You figure out the details. That's how this works. Such an idea, man. There's not a single idea, man, in the world that's ever, ever, ever rose to anything. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's idea men and then there's idea men and plan men. I have the idea. I, I'm not very... And then there's the initiation of the plan. Woo! Nah. I'd rather lay on the couch. <laughs> that's my sorry. That's my couch time. I, it's like me writing out this one man show. I'm I'm having a blast doing it. I really am because I don't know. Family Jewels, the book I wrote a long time ago, and I can't read it. I read some of it to you, and I can't read it now. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like the way that I wrote back then. I don't think that what I said in that book is the way that I've said it in this podcast. So again, this podcast has been a much broader scope of the story and way more details to it. But I don't know, my my, my writing now, I'll, I don't know. I'm going to give you a little a little taste. How's that? You guys are going to get a little taste, a very rough draft of the one-man show, the Family Jewels one-man show. I always remember being under a huge pile of Afghans what we called blankets in my house. Heat was a commodity we could afford, but only when mom paid the bill. On those occasions, she chose to drink the heat away. We woke up under Afghan's bupchi, Polish for grandmother, knitted. Hers was the last real generation that were craft makers, out of necessity. She made our Xmas ornaments out of colorful, clear plastic beads and pipe cleaners. There was a Santa in a helicopter, icicles, a gazebo that housed a round glass uses ice for a miniature frosty to skate on, and wreaths of every color combination imaginable. She also made the Afghans my mother spent the night covering us with, knowing the wee hours would bring the harshest cold. She was also a tyrant. Her husband was meek, thin, and looked broken, unless he was addressing her. For her, he roared mightily, snapping after listening to, Edward! You'll kill us with those goddamn cigarettes. After enough shunning, he'd scamper off to the basement where my stepfather installed cable for Bruins games. He'd sit and chain smoke, never changing whatever channel he found it on and watched happily whatever wasn't his wife's persistent nagging. All right, so that that's just a little bit. Now, am I going to get up and talk like that when I do the one-man show? In a way, in a way that that's writing and there's commas in there and stuff, but it, it's really just getting an idea of, you know, which facts I want to present, who I'm introducing as characters. And it's going to be pretty small. It's going to be, it's going to be a pretty small list of characters. You know, you guys have heard it, you know, you'll come see the one man show live. If you've been listening to the podcast at some point, hopefully me saying this will, will continue, uh, that's what I'm pushing towards. That's what I'm pushing forward to. And um, 
it is a goal and it is a goal that I am putting um, on the radar. You know, this this writing is is I just got to get it down so then I can sit and weed out the gems and start to really make a nice, succinct show. Um, and then from there, figure out how I want to present it. So that that's just a little bit of an example. Now, still being at Pondville Correctional Institute, listening 89 days and I wake up. Um and I'm still working at the cottage. So, you know, there's not a whole lot going on except this was when mom started. She worked for Exeter Hospital in New Hampshire and she loved it. She just, when I lived with her, she was so dedicated to this job. She would come home from work and my mother wasn't healthy. My mother did not... <laughs> She's not the person that would develop an exercise method unless it, this is what she would do. She'd get up in the morning and she was still on the coffee and cigarette diet. My mother never quit smoking, even when she was sick, smoked away. And it was so funny, the hypocrisy of me yelling at her for smoking. And I would all the time, mom, stop that. That's going to kill you. And she would look at me and be like, the, 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 the deal's done. What am I going to do? Kill myself? She would look at me and wow. It's hard to it's hard to argue with that logic, it really is. Um, but she would have coffee, uh, and it was always instant. My mother didn't, you know. There's so there's so many beautiful ways to make coffee that when you're taking the crumbly, disgusting freeze dried, I'm a glass of freeze dried Folgers right now will send me right back to childhood. If you gave me a Folgers, this is what I used to do. Scoop of Folgers, scoop of Swiss Miss instant cocoa, pour the water in. Um, you do it with the marshmallows, you know, make it as sweet as you want, make it as coffee -y as you want, and you take uh, Pepperidge Farm, not Pepperidge Farm, uh, Keebler chocolate chunk cookies, not the soft ones. There's multiple types of chocolate in there. There's almost one that's like a little toffee flavor y and. You dunk those into the coffee until the cookie gets soft. But be careful when you pull it out. You don't want the cookie to just turn into, you know, molten cookie and just melt into the cup. But if it does, deliciousness ensues in the cup. And don't forget to drink that last bot because that's where that cookie's going. I, I continued that tradition. That was a traditional coffee in my house. That was a traditional coffee my mom would make. And I would make, Brian, will you make me that coffee? And eventually I, I made it, I turned it into, I called it prison coffee. When I went into prison and I was buying these things, people would come to my cell and say, will you make me one of those? Dude, it's two scoops of coffee, two scoops of cocoa. Pour the fucking, and they were like, no, but I don't, they, they didn't know how to make it. Or, or they were just fucking with me and they wanted to see me make them a cup of coffee. But um, I don't know. I know the ratios. It's all about the balance. So try that. But, you know, I got out of prison and uh, I got a French press, a stainless steel French press because I didn't, you know, I don't like plastic. I just don't. I don't use any plastic for anything, not even to store shit. I try to buy everything in glass. Um, but delish, delish. Uh, so try that out. And I was I, <laughs> 90 days in a wake up. And mom, mom ate poorly. 
That was her breakfast. That that coffee. Two of them. And it was it was almost it was like an alcoholic. You know how an alcoholic gets right up in their liver and says, Hey, you better go get something to drink or you're gonna start seeing some shit. You know, you're gonna start hallucinating. She would need that coffee and she would drink it and smoke at the same time. You know, I've seen actors do this. Like she could take a sip, draw off the cigarette, blow the cigarette smoke out. And it was a, it was just a a system of getting caffeine and nicotine into your face as fast as possible. This is a metabolism built on that. Her metabolism was built on the nicotine and caffeine's ability to stimulate her central nervous system enough so she could move. This is what you hope, you know, health will do. This was not the plan my mother was on. Her lunch would be down in the cafeteria or whatever. You know, I never knew what the hell she ate for lunch, but I can tell you it wasn't good and it was probably frosted. She would come home uh, and Telly's, there was a sub place near the house that she bought in Epping, New Hampshire. She would pick up some sub or pizza or something and come home and eat that. And then before bed, she she went into the kitchen, took a cup, a big, tall, like eight ounce cup and poured about a third of the cup with Hershey syrup. I hated that shit. Never, ever, ever did I get into that shit. It didn't even taste like chocolate to me. It tastes like something a chocolate machine like poops out like discards. Like it's a byproduct of making chocolate that everybody has to throw out. And I might be on the money because that's exactly what that shit tastes like to me. But she loved it. Milk, huge glass of milk. And cookies. And she liked... You could never go to Bob G's house and not have fudge-striped cookies. Keebler. We were a Keebler family. We had Oreos, but... uh, Yeah. Keebler was way more multidimensional as a cookie company. They really were. They're sandwich cookies. Give me a break. If you can sit down, if those are in your house, and you cannot, and you can leave them alone, solid as a rock, man. Respect. I have mad respect for you because I will hit, I can't buy them, right? We get to the point where you know if you buy them, it's a murder scene. You think you'll come home and it'll be a slow, torturous death for that box of cookies? No. It is, it is a murder scene. Can't wait to get home. So you bite the head off first, just the head of one side off, so you expose the little chocolate stuff, and then you peel the body off, pop that in. So now you just have a, a Ernie, an Ernie side, one side of Ernie, and the chocolate, and <laughs> make a pile of those. Then you do that again to another cookie, flip them both over, boom, you got double stuffed. Double stuffed EL fudge. Is that what they were? El fudge. We called them EL fudge because, geez, the, you know. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. These are the things that you obsess over when you're in prison. You can't have that stuff. You just couldn't have it. I got that fat guy down, you know, a couple cells down from me that's getting boxes of Entenmann's. You know, he was, just, he was just buying them from somebody. Like, there were jobs people did. If you were doing serious time, they put you in the jobs that they needed filled for long periods of time. And this particular guy was working, I don't know where he was working. It was outside of the place and it was a place that had access to, 
almost out of code entomans. Endless entomans and, and EL fudges, they're, they're not even food. It was amazing to me, pre-prison, I worked in a spice factory. So, at the end of my high school career, the only thing the guidance counselors at Bishop Fenwick could figure out for me to do was to work at this spice factory. This was the most inconspicuous business you would, it almost, it sat in the middle, like my buddy Richie, at the end of his street, and I know his sister Kelly listens, so, hey guys, shout out. Uh, Richie passed away. And our buddy Dwayne passed away. And we just found out that a friend of ours that was in high school, Rod, passed away. Don't know the details of that. Don't, you know, we're not going to get into the details of the other things. But, you know, here we, here we are, folks. We're at that age. We're at that age where you're starting to know, you know, I know more people that I have known have died than people I have met. <laughs> you know what I mean? As my life moves forward. I feel like I have less and less friends, um, more picky about the people that I spend my time with. Um, but man, you just see, I, I talked about Eileen passing away. Uh, it's just, here we are. You know, we are actually at an age where it's not outrageous. If you were 25 and your friend died, oh my God, that's fucking ridiculous. But at our age, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, how, how did he die? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, oh my God, that's fucked up. But it's, you know, here we are. Here we are. Complete shit show. This, this episode has been a complete shit show. I've been all over the place. I don't even know what I talked about. That's an episode. That's a prime number. That's what prime numbers do to me. They mess me up. This has been an asymmetrical episode and I'm handing it to you. There you go. Enjoy. No, it's been a lot of fun. It really has. I've, <laughs> you know, we're getting close to the time where I'm getting out and I'm starting to formulate and think about what season three is going to look like. I am going to take a little hiatus. Uh, next episode is the last episode of season two, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 24 will be the end of season two. And uh, I don't know, probably going to take a little break and figure out what my next move is. Just really start working on the one-man show. And... um really start to uh, make this dream happen. Since I read that list of people that I have known that have passed away, it they should be reminders that, you know, it's right around the corner. So get it done, guys. Go out and do some shit. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing this podcast forever. You know what I mean? And And to finally do it, is is a step in it, it's it's you know it's not inert so hope you guys enjoyed uh 90 days in a wake up oh 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 hold on a second i remember what i was talking about we were talking about the study that my mother qualified for see this is i hate talking about cancer man i do i hate it I feel like it can hear me. And if you know somebody, if you've been touched by cancer, and as much as I've said, you know, I try to keep the perspective that there is a uh, a gift in it, in that the person wasn't pulled from your life unexpectedly, you know. I knew mom was dying. You know, we knew it was coming. So, it, you know, hopefully it changes your perspective and your relationship with that person where you can, you know, get anything done that you 
might have regretted if they were taken from you sooner. Um, so I hate talking about it. It hurts. But um, she qualified for a study. Exeter and the doctors there loved her. Everyone loved my mother. Everyone loved my mother. This was a time in her life where she could finally say, hey, I'm respected and I'm liked. We were not liked growing up. My mother, she was a private woman. I don't know. I didn't see her party life, but she partied. I don't know what kind of party party my mother was. I only saw the the hangover part and the volatility of, you know, not being able to satiate her addiction and, you know, all that shit rolls downhill onto the kids. We were rarely ever there when she was partying. We always had to go to bed. It wasn't one of the things I would sneak up and watch. I would always wait till she was passed out so I could go down and watch her TV. So she was so well-liked and so loved at that hospital. They loved her so much. Those were the people that were around her instead of her family. She, they pushed her into a study. And mom's diagnosis was stage four. It's not not good. But the direction treatment was at that point was radiation at, at first and chemo after. Or I don't know how they proposed it then. And they really did it at the same time. But this study was to see what a dose of chemo and radiation at the same time, very high doses, what that, how that would, you know, what changes you could make to the tumors. And, and it ate her away. Every week that she came down to visit me, she was a, a frailer. Just, just, I don't, I've never understood. I've never understood the, the treatment for cancer. And I wrote a book. I wrote a book um, when I got out. Um, and we'll talk about it next episode. I'm going to talk about Evo. I created a superhero. While I was writing Family Jewels, I created a superhero. I wanted to see if I could sit down and do what DC does. You know, they have this universe. So does Marvel. And I'm like, you know, I like writing. I loved comic books. Um, and I wanted to see if I could create a superhero. I want to tell you about him next week. I'm going to tell you in the season ender. Um... So, so glad that I caught myself. I would have laid down before I released this or after I released this and been like, oh my God, I didn't cap that, that mom story I was telling. But this, uh, this, this study that she was part of, did, did, I don't know. It's like lighting yourself on fire to cure a burn is the way I look at it. You know, radiation kills everything. Chemo kills everything. This, it, it's... There's a there's a disconnect, and, and and I know it's gotten way more sophisticated, and I hope it has, and we deserve it to be. But it is, uh, I don't know. Again, I don't like talking about it. <laughs> I think part of writing that book, writing Evo, was my way to process how I felt about cancer. It's just I hate it. I hate it. So fucking afraid of it. I think that's what fuels my desire to be healthy. So, that's my story, guys. Episode 23. 90 Days in Wake Up is wrapped. Hope you guys liked it. I'm saying goodbye for the second time. I don't think I'm going to remember anything else that I didn't tell you. And if I do, I'll bring it up next week.
Come back for episode 24, season ender. I'll talk to you guys next week. Next three rounds, everybody love here, guys. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to uh, do something a little bit different here. Um, let's see here. So I have, I have a friend of mine uh, who, if you've been here before, you may have seen him uh, do stuff here before. Um, he has his own past. He has a, a whole set of series of stories that are really unbelievable. And uh, he's a blast. He's a good time. He's a good friend of mine, Brian Sobolewski. Come on up here, guys. So, uh, his talent is you can throw a word out there and it will remind him of a story from his past that he will tell you. So, uh, let's hear a word. Firecracker. Firecracker. All right, what does that make you think of, Brian? Um, Fourth of July, um, in my house, was explosive to begin with, <laughs> okay, but when you added Fourth of July to it, uh, it was something else entirely. Now, I, I'm not, uh, I'm Polish, anyone here Polish? Okay, come on up here. <laughs> Turn around face. Do you see his hair? This is what's going to happen. <laughs> Very soon, you can sit back down. <laughs> Give it up for, what's your name? Henry. What? Henry. 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 So, so your, dad, your dad's like 80. <laughs> okay, so I don't know how I got from firecracker to Polish. Well, no, I do. Because as Polish people, We've heard some explosions. <laughs> We've heard some fucking explosions. I don't know if you know our history as Polish people, but we've been fucked with. <laughs> and I don't like it. <laughs> okay, so we've been persecuted by the Germans. The Nazis came in, they rolled in, and they were like, hey, what's up, guys? And they took over our country without a shot fired. Okay? <laughs> Russians roll in after the Germans fuck everything up, and they're like, hey, we want half of this post-World War II. You guys with me? Anyone here know there was a second World War? There were two, and I'm pretty sure we'll be involved in the third one. But from there, um, things didn't go well, and I'm going to tell you why. My parents were Russian and Polish. Sorry, guys, somebody was brave. <laughs> That's just the deal. That's how it worked. So once my parents came to America, they lived on the same street in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Anyone here from Boston? Good. So there were no shitbags in the room. That's <laughs> Okay. So Boston, Massachusetts at the time was, you know, so many people focus on Chicago being a corrupt city, but Boston was way more fucking corrupt. And at the time, my dad lived right next to this bar. That's where Whitey Bulger ended up doing most of his business. Okay, so my dad just grew up around a bunch of, around a culture of, if it's not locked up, you can have it. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty much where he grew up. And, and they used to unload trailers 
that they would steal from the port in Boston right behind this bar that my dad grew up in. So he was used to if it isn't tied down, mm -hmm. have it. Now, flash forward to when he has children. This is not a good recipe because he says, hey, I could go take the shit. Or I could have three people because, <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't just me, it was my older brother. So my older brother and I ended up uh, helping my dad rob jewelry stores all the way to England for five years. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, it didn't start so subtly. That's what I'm talking about. So as kids, when we were growing up, my dad sort of eased it in. The first thing that we ever stole was a house. So <laughs> 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 you're like, oh, I steal a house. Uh, and you're laughing too hard, so your dad already stole a house. Uh, it was simple. My dad couldn't afford a house when he divorced my mom. So instead, he bought the land and he had a foundation for it. And then he capped it. And we lived inside the foundation. And at night, we would drive around the construction sites and steal the rest of what we needed to build the house. <laughs> no, I called it labor camp. I hated it. I fucking hated going to weekends with my dad because all we did was build his fucking house. But um, I remember the first time we ever got caught for breaking into a construction site. It was so simple because at that point, I, I didn't even know that we were stealing. Like my dad pulls up to this development and they were just taking down trees and we needed firewood. So he cuts the gate, snaps the chain, and me and my brother are sitting in the car like, well, that's normal. <laughs> People do that shit. And we pull in, and we start loading up. He, he got a U-Haul. We just started loading up trunks from the tree inside this U-Haul. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a cop pulls up, like a SWAT team. They pull, like the lights were on. He's like, holy shit. And he comes out, and he starts talking to my dad. Me and my brother don't know what's going on. Eventually, the owner of the property comes over, and he's like, you know, you broke in, you cut the fucking gate, you knew, you knew what was going on. But, if you just give me a case of beer for every quart of wood you take, we're even. <laughs> and that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story, let's get a little bit out of here.